We're continuing on in our series in the book of Romans. And our series is Romans, a first century faith for the 21st century. Today, what we're going to be looking at is specifically Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 21. Uh, the entire chapter and today's, uh, the message, the title of today's message is Saving Faith and Sharing the Good News. Saving faith and sharing the good news. In Romans chapter 10, we're going to be looking at three things. Number one, how the Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle Paul to remind us of how to come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Um, How we have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're going to focus on that. The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to be reminded of Israel's unbelief. And third, um, how God wants the church to share faith with others. Um, Before we go to Romans chapter 10, I want to tell you something I did yesterday. I went to um, watch a debate um, all day long at Concordia University. And um, I went to go see Ezekiel and uh, Isaiah Chamberlain, and they were competing um, all day long. It was in uh, this... This is huge tournament where they're debating secular topics, religious topics. Um, Darcy and Keen might join uh, this debate group next year. And uh, I I sat through a bunch of speeches. These were all given through high schools. They were very impressive. And one of the things that struck struck me uh, yesterday was um, as I sat through these speeches, some of these high schools were talking about should we fund Pakistan? And uh, if we want to see the Taliban stopped, right, these heady topics. Another topic was, um, should we see prison reform or should we have more punitive measures to stop criminals? Like all of these major topics, right? And there's all these debates going on about why you should look at it this way, why you should look at it that way. And as I was listening to this debate, I was thinking, you know, it's very different. What I experienced yesterday from what you experience in the church right now. See, what I listened to yesterday, and maybe you, you, know, you listen to these people debate on television, you listen to people's different points of view. Uh, you listen to people debate on different topics. And you kind of listen, okay, maybe I believe that, maybe I don't. It's very different when you come to church and hear the word of God. It's not a debate. I'm not coming up here to say to you like a lawyer, well, consider this evidence. And then this other person says, well, this person's wrong. Consider this evidence. And you have to choose between which view. In the word of God, when you come to church, it's not a debate. What you're doing here is you are hearing the declared word of God. And it's not a debate. What we're saying here is God has spoken through the word. And we're here to hear it. We're here to listen to it. Because this is the very words of God. And we're not in really in a position to debate with God. We're here to receive that. So it's very different. And so in Romans chapter 10, as we look at the nature of saving faith and Israel's unbelief and God wanting the church to share about faith, um, our faith with others. We're going to look at that in, Ro- in this entire chapter. And so um, I'm going to actually go ahead and read this along with you. Let's go ahead and stand now. And we'll go ahead and read all 21 verses together. Um, So Romans chapter 10, 
verse 1, Paul writes this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who come on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Verse 18. But I ask, have they not all heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Isaiah not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous for those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who do not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray together. Father, we who are gathered here on this Lord's Day seek to avoid the error of Israel who were a disobedient and contrary people. Instead, we want to be a people who are reminded of the great salvation that we have through our confession as Jesus Christ as Lord and our belief in his resurrection. And I pray, Lord, that as we move forward, you would remind us of our great responsibility that we have Understanding that faith comes through hearing and hearing from those who share the word of Christ. May we be those Christians. May we be that type of church that shares the word of Christ in order to see others saved. And so to honor you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you have a seat. Thank you. Today, as we go through Romans chapter 10, I'm going to pull out several scriptures, several main points. And again, we are looking at what chapter 10 says about reminding us how to have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, the danger of unbelief, and our responsibility to share the saving message of Jesus Christ. And so let's go to the first right here, Paul. 
The Apostle Paul had a desire for Israel to be saved. The Apostle Paul had a desire for Israel to be saved. When you go to Romans chapter 10, verse 1 here, he says, um, let's go ahead and bring that up here. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Let's stop there in verse 1. Who is talking? The Apostle Paul is talking. He's the man who um, described himself as formerly a blasphemer he, uh, of Jesus Christ. He's a man who described himself in Philippians chapter 3 as a man who had grown up in, in the Jewish faith, excelled in Jewish culture. And he was Jewish, but he came to faith in Jesus Christ. But no, so when he says brothers here in verse 1, he's talking about, me as a follower of Jesus Christ to my Christian brothers and Christian sisters, Christian brothers, Christian sisters, I speak to you. And he's saying, my heart, my heart is the Apostle Paul. Now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, my heart's desire and prayer is that they, for them, and they may be saved. Who is the they and who is the them? It is Israel. Paul is talking to the church, and he's saying, Church, I have a deep desire that my Jewish brethren know Jesus Christ. And he felt this deeply. If you go to Romans chapter 9, we looked at this passage last week. Romans chapter 9, verse 2 through 4, Paul says something very similarly. He says in verse 2, I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? Because his Jewish brethren did not know Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 9 again, I wish that I could be damned, accursed, if, and, and, and cut off from Christ if only Israel came to faith. And he's knowing, he's kind of speaking in hyperbole. It's not really theologically correct, but he's expressing his heart. He's saying, um, I who know Jesus Christ has such a burden for those that do not know Jesus Christ, my, my Jewish unbelieving brethren, that I would be willing to give up my salvation, to be separated from Christ, to spend eternity apart from God, if it meant all of Israel could come to faith. And Paul had a heart, deep sorrow, he says, and anguish in his heart, a deep desire, his heart's desire, chapter 10, verse 1. Israel rejected Jesus. When Jesus Christ came, they recognized him as Jewish, but they said, we want a savior from the politics and economics of Rome. But they didn't want a savior for their sins. They wanted a savior from Rome, but they didn't want a savior from their own personal sins. And I, I wonder if there's some of us here today and we're in the same place as Israel. We want God to save us from everything else but our sins. We want God to save us from how marriage is def being defined. We want God to save us from the ugliness that some aspects of CRT can expose in our culture. We want God to save us from war. We want God to save us from, from racism. 
We want God to save us from all of these different aspects, but do we want God to save us from our sins? Israel did not. And so Israel rejected God's righteousness and they ended up trusting in their own. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2 through 5, Paul says about Israel that they, verse 2, have a zeal for God, but it's a zeal not according to knowledge. Verse 3, they're actually ignorant of the righteousness of God, and their motivation is actually to seek to establish their own righteousness, not to submit to God's. Skip on down to verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. Now, what is he talking about here, Paul? In verse 2, in verse 3, and in verse 5, he is reminding us that Israel was passionate for God, but it was a passion that was not according to how God wanted them to be passionate for him. It was an ignorant passion. It was saying, God, I worship you. God, I love you. God, I'll do anything. God, you're the center of my life. And yet they chose to define who God was and how they were going to worship God in their own way. You know, I, I, think the, um, I think the Academy Awards, right, are happening. And uh, you hear, often hear celebrities come up, oh, thank you. I just give thanks to my, my father, the one who's above. Thanks to God. And you're looking at them saying, well, you know, they they might be passionate about God in that moment, but they're making movies or living lives that are completely inconsistent with right worship of God. And in some ways, that's how Israel was. They gave God praise with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And in verse 3, the motivation for this was... They chose to establish their own righteousness. They did not want to submit, it says in verse 3, to God's righteousness. And this is a tremendous insight. Because Israel did not miss God because they weren't smart enough. They didn't miss God because, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, there, there was other people that were better than them. They missed God because their hearts didn't want to submit to God. That was true about Israel, and it's true about everyone who rejects God today. You have to understand the issue of why people reject God. At the core, is not because we didn't provide the right apologetic answer. It is not because we didn't have the exact right reason from the verse from the Bible. The reason why people reject God is because their heart, in the end, do not feel that they need the righteousness of God outside of their own. And even when they hear about it through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God, they don't want to submit to it. It always comes down to a heart issue of who wants to submit to who and who does not. And so in verse 5, when he says that, uh, you know, if you are going to um, live by the commandments, if you're going to have your life based on the law, you do the commandments, you're going to live by them. What does that mean? God is saying, if you have access to the Bible, the scriptures, and you don't want Jesus Christ, then God will say, all right, if you don't want my son, Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of my scriptures, then I'm going to judge you by everything that's in the Bible. 
and you have to do it exactly right. And if you fail in any way, I'm going to judge you and you're going to be found guilty. So if you live by the scriptures without Jesus, you're going to be judged by the scriptures without Jesus. I would rather have Jesus first. And so when you look at verse 2, when you look at verse 3, when you look at verse 5, let me summarize it in my own words. Israel is essentially saying to God at this point in verse 2, 3, and 5, something along these lines. God, we know the laws of right and wrong. God, but we're, we, we feel like we're passionate for you. And God, our own judgment that we just kind of talk amongst ourselves and we kind of feel in our gut is that um, we're living up to enough of your standards for you to be okay with that. What's wrong with that? That's essentially what Israel is saying to God at this point. Now, what is God saying to them at this point? He's saying, not. He's saying, no, no matter how zealous you think you are for me, uh, if you try to be right, follow me on this, you guys. If you try to obey my law before having a relationship with me through Jesus Christ, before believing in Jesus Christ, before uh, choosing to follow Jesus Christ as your, your Lord, if you choose to follow those scriptures before you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are going to be punished. God is saying, I'd rather you have a faith with me through Jesus Christ first. And when Jesus Christ comes into your life through the Holy Spirit, then he will move in your life to obey the scriptures. And that's essentially what is happening here. Um, Israel did not want to make God the authority of their lives. They wanted to maintain that they were their own authority. And it always comes down to that. People choose to follow Jesus Christ when they finally come to the realization, I should not be the ultimate authority in my own life. I am not ultimately in control of my eternal destiny. I do not have the ability to change myself in a way that's righteous before God. Every Christian, every true Christian comes to that realization. And then they say, but Jesus does. Everyone who rejects God, everyone who rejects Jesus Christ says the opposite. They say, you know what? I can maintain control. I want authority in my own life. God, I'll, I'll define how I want to serve you, how I want to know you, whether I'm good enough for you. And the Bible is warning against it. This is the critical, fatal error that Israel made in unbelief. But then Paul says this in verse 4, and here's the good news. He says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. What does that mean? Paul is saying that when you have faith in Jesus Christ, he is the fulfillment of God's law. And what happens to us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ is that the righteousness of Christ is both, in, it's called imputed and imparted to us. Imputed and imparted. What that means is when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness, his perfect fulfillment of the law, he dies on the cross and rises again. We place our faith in the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. And at that moment, when we have faith in Jesus Christ and he comes to live inside of us, God 
imputes his righteousness. It's a legal term which basically says God looked at us as sinners. Now that we have Jesus, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus in us and he imputes righteousness to us. God literally changes his mind. That's what imputed righteousness means. We are changed in our status before God between from unrighteous before Jesus Christ to righteous after Jesus Christ. We get, get imputed righteousness, but he also imparts to us the righteousness of Christ. And that means that now Christ's righteousness, who lives through us, moves up towards his righteousness. We change, God changes his view, imputation, and we actually receive the actual righteousness of Christ, impartation of righteousness. And so Christ is the end of the law of righteousness, of us trying to live out God's law on our own for those who believe. And that is the good news of the gospel. God is saying at this point, I desire that you have faith in my son, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of my law. Believe in him and you will be in Christ as his spirit lives in you. I, God, will now see you as righteous. Let's move on. Saved. So how do you know Christ? In Romans chapter 10, we're going to focus on verse 9 and 10. These verses lay out two important ways that you can know that you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've truly come to faith. If you are saved, it is not because you were born into a Christian family. It is not because you just happened to say a prayer one day as a child. It is not because you feel like you do more good than bad. These do not make you a Christian. What Romans chapter 10 says is, number one, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and number two, if you believe that he has been raised from the dead, you will be saved. Let's bring up verse 9 and 10. Um, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Before uh, Paul writes verse 9 and verse 10, he says in verse 6 through 8 earlier on, he says, essentially, you, you don't have to search the heavens to find the answer to salvation. You don't have to go to the depths of the earth to find the answer to salvation. There are people, most people throughout human history have searched the heavens and the earth, gone throughout the four corners of the earth, different religions, just different, different ways of trying to find how they can feel like they're at peace with God. And Paul and the scriptures are saying, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to consult all the philosophers throughout human history. You don't have to look at all the religions throughout human history and trying to synthesize them all together in one. You don't have to read all the great literature to figure out. No, he's saying all you have to do is no, listen to the word. He says in verse 8, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. See, the Bible says that all you need for salvation is to hear God's word. And he says in verse 9 and verse 10, to confess Jesus as Lord and believe he's risen from the dead. Now, when it says confess Jesus as Lord in verse 9, the Bible is not saying, just say the words, Jesus is my Lord. 
And if it's just some kind of mantra, some kind of repeating of words, that you'll be saved. That's not what it means. What it's referring to is confess comes from the Greek word homo logeo. And homo means the same, logeo means to speak. Homo logeo means to speak the same as about Jesus Christ as God says about Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. And so when you say, I have chosen to follow Jesus as Lord, what you're really saying is, I have come to the heart conviction that money, while I struggle with it, while I need it, while I enjoy it, it's not my Lord. It's not my Lord. I've come to the conclusion that this other person, my, my spouse, my kid, that, that celebrity, whatever that is, that's not my Lord. I have also declared that Satan is no longer my Lord, because if Jesus is not your Lord, Satan is your Lord, Jesus says in John chapter 10. And I've also come, and this is perhaps the most important, I've also come to the realization, and I've come to renounce that I, myself, am no longer my Lord over my own soul. When you say Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is, Jesus is now, has, I'm recognizing Jesus' authority over every area of of my life. Jesus is referred to as Lord over 10 times more, far more times than he is referred to as Savior in the scriptures. And so when you say, I confess that Jesus is Lord, that's what we're saying. And you know what? Most people don't want to do that because it requires you and I to say, I give up control. I give up authority. And, uh, and, and, and here's the irony, you guys. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he's already Lord. It doesn't change anything. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 says, whether you acknowledge it or not, in the end, in the final judgment, when you stand before the Lord, your knee is going to bow and acknowledge him as Lord. It's going to happen either way. So you might as well just confess him as Lord and choose to follow him here. And so that is one requirement that Jesus is, if you got married, if you're married here, all right, it was never a situation where you stood up there at the altar and said, you, I I take you as my husband, um, Monday through Friday, (laughs) but Saturday and Sunday, I've got these other guys in my past. Are we cool to get married? I take you as my wife, but I have these three other wives of the same. Nobody does that. It's it's ridiculous. And the same thing with Jesus. It's me and me alone at the top or nothing. And secondly, he says in verse nine, again, he says, secondly, after confessing Jesus as Lord, we need to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is the resurrection so important? Paul said in first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 15, If there's no resurrection of Jesus from the dead, your faith is in vain. Why is the resurrection so important? Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the penalty for our sin. And he died. But he rose again in the resurrection to defeat death. And see, death is the ultimate enemy. Because if we are not raised from the dead, the Bible says we are stuck in our sins. And so the fact that Jesus rose from the dead to conquer death now offers us eternal life. 
What you're saying when you say, I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you are saying this, I believe it happened. I believe he conquered death. I believe he offers life and I believe he's alive today. And if I believe in him, I believe not only is he alive today, but he now lives in me. That's what you're saying when you say, I believe that he rose from the dead. And it says in verse 10, if you do that, you will be declared just before God, right before God, and you will be saved. Saved from what? You'll be saved from eternity apart from God, an eternity apart from God's people, and you will be saved from being in what the Bible calls the outer darkness, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, the place of eternal flames in the lake of fire, which we know is hell. That's a very big deal to be saved from. Amen to that. And he says in verse 11 through 13, later on, that anyone who, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved by Jew, by Gentile. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how long, you know, how, how old you are, what race you are. If you're popular, if not, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And so that's good news for us. Because if you look around this room, how many of us are like, come from wildly different backgrounds? And you know, what holds us together is Christ. And when you look around a room of the church, it's actually a really great thing. It's a very cool thing, amazing thing, blessed thing to look around at other people and say, yeah, we're kind of different. We, we didn't, you know, I don't know if I might even be friends with you if it weren't for the fact that Christ has brought us together because it reminds us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what God has been doing here at City Bible Church to his praise and glory. God also wants us to testify. He wants us to testify to sharing the good news of the word of Christ. He wants us to testify to sharing the good news of the word of Christ. Verse 14 through 17. He says to Christians, if people, they they can't believe and they can't call upon Jesus if they have not believed. And they can't believe if they've never heard. And they can't hear without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And stop there. Notice in all of this sequence in these scriptures, he's talking about people have to hear in order to believe. But they have to have the word of God preached to them. They have to hear the word of God. They have to understand the word of God, verse 14 and verse 15. Meaning what? If we're going to share our faith, if we're going to testify to who God is in a way that offers them authentic salvation, it has to be more than just our personal testimony. It has to be more than just our our clever apologetic arguments. When you're sharing your faith, you've got to give them the word of God. Because that is far more authoritative than your testimony, than your apologetic arguments. In fact, the Bible says that the word of God is the seed that causes salvation. And so one of the things that we try and do at this church is when, we, when I train people to share their faith, 
I always point them and say, I want you to be skilled at sharing about Christ from the scriptures. And so we go through passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, uh, Luke, all of Luke chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 3. And we talk about what the gospel is because I want them to be skilled at sharing the word. And he says in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Look, keep your eyes there on verse 15. It's in a quote. That's a quote from Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That quote from Isaiah chapter 2, verse uh, chapter 52, uh, verse 7, had to do with Isaiah was, was talking about Israel being crushed by Assyria and, and by Babylon and then returning back from Babylon to repatriate Jerusalem some um, 500 years earlier, 500 plus years earlier. And he was, Isaiah was saying how blessed are those who bring good news that we get to go back to our homeland. We get to uh, rebuild the walls in the temple of Jerusalem that was destroyed by the Babylonians in uh, the 6th century B.C. And he's likening that to the church. That people's walls and their house has been destroyed. Much like the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. And you and I get to come in and say, we are the ones who bring to you good news. Because the walls that the enemy has torn down, the house of your soul that has been crushed, God will rebuild. And so do you bring good news? Do you bring good news when you share the gospel? What if we saw people who do not know Jesus Christ as we kind of saw past their outer appearance and we looked at them and say, you know what, inside this, this shell of unbelief is a wall that has been crushed, is a house that has been demolished. And I come to you with good news. God can rebuild what the locusts have destroyed. And so he says that we are heralds of good news. In verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are not just sharing the words of the book of Proverbs. We're not just sharing the words of the book of the Psalms. We're not sharing just the word of the words of the book of Deuteronomy. We are specifically sharing as Christians, what the word of Christ, which means we are heralds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not just sharing the Proverbs of how to live a wise life. As beautiful as that is, we are saying, let me share with you specifically about Jesus. You know, when you go out and share your faith with other people, they're always going to have questions you can't answer. That's just the way it is, even for me as a pastor. But I point them back to Jesus Christ. And you know enough, most of you, about Jesus Christ to keep pointing them that the judgment that people have to make about faith is not about you. How many of you are insecure about sharing your faith because you feel like, you know, you're not living this out perfectly? Well, you're not, and neither am I. 
but we point them away from us. And I'm not saying you can just live this immoral life. We point them to Jesus and tell them, here's the word, what the word says about Christ. Because he is the linchpin of belief and unbelief. And so he goes on to say, I talk about Israel and the church here. Israel and the church in verse 18 through 21. Our closing verses, Israel and the church. And his primary message in here is those who believe are saved, whether you're of Israel or whether you're outside of Israel. In verse 18 and verse 21, Paul says this. Um, the voice, their voice has gone out to the ends of the earth. It's gone out all throughout the earth, verse 18, verse 21. But all day long, um, Israel's, uh, God has held his hand out to Israel, but he says, number one, they've been disobedient, and number two, they're a contrary people, verse 21. In verse 18 and verse 21, what God is saying here is that Israel had all the chances to hear about God, to hear about Jesus Christ. It went through all the ends of the earth, or the known parts of the earth at that time. And they had the opportunity to hear about him and they still rejected him. Verse 21, and why did they reject him? It gives two reasons. Number one, they were disobedient and they were contrary people. Again, the reason why people reject Jesus Christ does not have to do with the intellectual argument. At the core, it has to do with the state of the person's heart. At the core, if someone says, I don't like Jesus, I don't believe in him. I reject him. I reject what he says, what his life was about, what he teaches, what he calls me to. The core issue is always the person is holding on to a spirit of disobedience. And they just don't want to. If you're a parent and you have a child, you can make the most rational arguments to your kid about why they should do something that you have already told them dozens of times to do. And you, you can make complete sense in what you say. And the kid may or may not even understand it, especially when they're younger. But the really what happens is that it is the condition of their heart, whether they want to obey or not. It is not your rational argument that wins the day. And if you say to a kid, I'm going to tell you all the reasons why you should obey. I'm going to tell you all the logical reasons. And what will happen logically if you don't listen to what I'm saying they won't listen if in their heart, they're like, no, I just don't want to. I don't care what you say. You know, I'll do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, I'm just going to be disobedient no matter what. That's how it works with human beings. And it's not just kids, it's, it's adults too. And that's how it is with us in the spiritual realm. People reject Jesus Christ because they just don't want to listen. And they're just at the core would rather want to be disobedient because it's easier. It's, they feel it's better and they just want to. And he says in verse 21 that they are a contrary people, Israel. Contrary just means that, you know, whatever you say, it's true. I'm just going to disagree with it. I'm going to say the opposite. Maybe I'll do it for fun, for sport. Maybe it's just because I just don't like you. So I will disagree with you because I don't like you. This was the core issue of why Israel rejected God. And so God said, you know, um, I've given you chances all throughout the ends of the earth. 
You have been judged a disobedient and contrary people. You can see this all throughout the Old Testament, certainly in the Gospels. And so you go on to verse 19 here. And God essentially says, you know what? Um, I am going to take this message to the Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who's non-Jewish, anyone who's not a descendant of Israel. We're all Gentiles here, pretty much, unless you have a Jewish heritage. Um, And he says, verse 19 I will make you, that you there is Israel. I will make Israel jealous of those who are not a nation. That is the Gentiles. That's the church. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. God is saying what in verse 19 to Israel? You rejected me? That's fine. I'm going to go take my saving message, my blessings to the Gentiles. They will come to faith. That will form the church. And you're going to look at them and be angry and jealous that I've moved on to them. To this day, Israel has been established as a nation as of 1948 here. Again, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Most overwhelmingly, most Jews. Some do, but most don't. And the primary reason why is because they're angry and they're jealous. They're disobedient and contrary in unbelief. That's what the Bible is saying in the New Testament. And so when you're trying to reach that person in your life that you think is unreachable, at the end of the day, we should be praying and saying, Lord, along with chapter 10, verse 1, God, would you break my heart the way you broke Paul's heart for Israel? Would you break my heart for those who don't know? You know, if you're a Christian and you've been Christian for a long time, most Christians lose a zeal for evangelism. That's why one of the reasons why we're reading George Whitfield. He had such a zeal for evangelistic Um, sharing the gospel his entire life. We need to pray and say, Lord, would you give me the heart of George Whitfield? Lord, would you give me the heart of Paul for those that don't know Christ? Because sometimes, unless God gives you that heart, we don't have it. But um, when you were trying to reach out to those who are outside the faith, when you say, Lord, just like Israel was disobedient and contrary, filled with anger and jealousy, would you convict them of that? See, one of the best things that you can do to lead people to faith is actually just pray, Lord, would you give me a heart for this person, number one? And number two, would you convict that person of their contrary, disobedient, angry, and jealous heart? And so when you show up to share Jesus Christ, maybe they'll be open. And finally, in verse 20, he says, he's actually quoting Isaiah. I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. This is God speaking. And he says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask me. The church, you and I, we didn't ask for God. We did not seek God out. He found us. He sought us out. That is why salvation begins with God, not us. We didn't ask, and we didn't seek. If you're a believer here, it is solely the result of God first initiating, drawing you to himself through Jesus Christ. Because we didn't ask, we didn't seek. In fact, Romans chapter 3 that we looked at months ago says, there's no one who does good, no, not one. And so, in Romans chapter 10, as we look at this, This is what the Lord wants us to take away. Paul had a desire for Israel to be saved. 
We need to have a desire for the people in our lives that do not know Christ to be saved. We need to recognize the error that Israel made by rejecting God's righteousness and trusting in their own, as most people who miss, will miss Christ for this reason. We need to be reminded that the way to be saved and have come to a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ is, number one, to confess him as Lord and to believe in your heart that he's been risen from the dead. We who believe need to testify of the good news, not just of how to live a better life, but the good news of the saving relationship of Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to recognize that everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Amen. Amen. And so if you're here today and you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, the word of God and God is saying to you through this time, the message that you has saved you and the message you need to say to share with others is Jesus is Lord and he lives. That's it. And if you can get that message across and base your life around those two things, your life will be set on the right things. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ today, God is saying to you, today is your day. He's reaching out to you. And he's saying, confess me as Lord. Believe in your heart that I've risen from the dead and you will be saved. You will not be put to shame. I will receive anyone who calls upon me. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in your own salvation for yourself by your own power? Have you placed your faith in your own salvation in some other religion outside of Jesus Christ? The Bible is saying to us in Romans 10 that that is the same error of unbelief that Israel made. And so let's learn from their error, their damning error. And let's remind ourselves of the great salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we close together, thank you for this time in your word. Reminding us of all the good and right things that we have in Jesus Christ. For those of us who know him, maybe we be recommitted to submitting our lives to him as Lord. Knowing that in the areas that we fail and fall in, he lives through us, through his resurrected spirit. And for those of us that do not know Jesus Christ, Lord, would you convict them of their disobedient heart, of their jealous and angry heart, of their contrary uh, spirit according, away from the truth of God, and may they give their life to Jesus Christ. And so now, Lord, as we move into communion, pray you bless our time, remembering and looking forward to who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.